Lord, we just thank you that you're with us and that you have revealed to us incredible news, incredible good news. It hasn't changed since the angels sang when you were born in Bethlehem. You bring us good tidings of great joy, which is for all people. For unto us was born in that morning, at that night, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the angels sang because heaven was coming. Heaven was coming to earth. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. Because of this Christ. Because of this Christ. Thank you, Lord. You were born to die that we might die in you and live. Thank you, Lord. Help us see now this incredible prophecy that we're going to look at this morning, Lord. Help us see the reality of this incredible prophecy. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. I thought I'd share this morning a little bit about... I do this like maybe once every two years, I guess, or so. But it's uh, looking, taking a look at the prophecy in the book of Daniel that is known as the 70 weeks prophecy or the 77s prophecy. Um, are you pretty, everybody pretty much familiar with that? You've heard about the 70 weeks of Daniel, the 77s? Okay, cool. Um, it's an incredible, incredible prophecy that um, was actually given by the angel Gabriel excuse me, to Daniel. Um, the historical setting of this is the Jews were in exile God had taken them, allowed them to be taken captive by Babylon, Babylonia, and they were in captivity for 70 years before they were allowed to come back to the land. And so when they were in captivity, Daniel, who now was an older man, had been there all those years in captivity. He read in the prophecy of Jeremiah that he would, that the Lord would allow, would allow Israel to be in captivity for 70 years because those are the number of of years that they didn't honor the Sabbath and let the land rest. And so God says, okay, I'm going to make you let the land rest. And so that was what they did. They were in captivity. But all of that's a picture of Christ because that's a picture of, of, uh, of uh, God's judgment. 70 times 7 or, or 70 years is like uh, 7 times 10 is like a complete judgment. So now they're, they're praying about coming back because Daniel um, saw the... Uh, the prophecy in Jeremiah. So he started to pray, oh, the time is here. The time is here. Lord, uh, release your people back to your land. Okay. So as Daniel was praying about this, then the angel Gabriel appeared to him and Gabriel prophesied. It's in chapter nine of Daniel in verse 20, 21. Yeah, there you go. 21, 921. And this is where, and Gabriel gives Daniel a prophecy that concerns his people, the Jewish people. Because if you read, and we don't have a time, we don't have time this morning to go into the details of this. It's so awesome to look at the details. I'm trying to, I guess, just whet your appetite. Then you would go back and look at this yourself and see these little things that are in there. That's amazing. Because Daniel was praying for his people, his city, 
and the temple. Those three things. His, his people, the Jewish people, the city was in ruins. The temple was in ruins. His people were in exile. So he's praying that his people would return to the land, that the temple would be rebuilt and the city would be rebuilt. They would return to normalcy, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel and be a nation again. Okay, so those three things he was praying earnestly for his people and the temple and Jerusalem. Gabriel comes and announces to Daniel and God's got bigger plans than just restoring a temple and the people and the land. Huge plans. Daniel actually gets the prophecy from the angel Gabriel of when the Messiah is going to come. And what's so cool about this prophecy is that you can read this prophecy and know exactly who the Messiah would be, or at least the exact time. And if it doesn't fit within that time frame, then he's not the Messiah. So it's God's way of making everybody sure of this is my son, this is the time. If it didn't happen now, he's not the right one, which is very cool. But what's even more cool is that Gabriel says that what's going to happen at a certain time frame, at the end of a certain time frame, Daniel, I mean, Gabriel says to Daniel that when, when, when this happens, when Messiah comes, when this time period is over, which is 490 years, we'll look at that, 490 years, when, that's, when it's over, 70 times 7... And we'll talk about when that time frame begins, the starting point of that, when the clock starts ticking on that 490 years. Daniel is actually told by the angel Gabriel that when this time is over, that your Jewish, the Jewish people will be over. They'll no longer be the Jewish people as you know it today, Daniel, as God's chosen people. There will no longer be a temple, Daniel, as you know it today, or as you're praying for today. There will not be a temple. There will no longer be a holy land of Jerusalem. I mean, it's going to be a dramatic change in in 490 years that is just mind-boggling. Just like Paul said in the Galatian letter, he said, Jerusalem below is in bondage, but Jerusalem above is our mother. A new, a new thing has come. Um, anyway, so in addition to that, he said this. He said, and when this time period is over, uh, all transgressions will be finished. And sin will end. And iniquity will be reconciled. All iniquity. And everlasting righteousness will come and whatever has been seen and prophesied by the prophets will be fulfilled and the most holy will be anointed huge huge i mean this is huge i mean this is like it's basically it's it's a description of the end of the world it's a description of of heaven on earth I mean, it's a description of, it's the end. It's the end. There's, there's not going to be the Jews like you know today. There's not going to be the temple like you know. There's not going to be a Jerusalem that's holy and special like, like you know today. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be transgressions anymore. There's not going to be uh, iniquity that's unreconciled. There's, there's going to be everlasting righteousness in place. And everything the prophets have seen and spoken, are gonna, it's going to come to pass. And the Holy One will be anointed. Amen. Which means king. 
Anointed king. The Holy One anointed king. So this is huge. Now, because this is so huge, theologians have been unable to believe it. (laughs) They have been unable to believe it could be that good. Because they still see sin in the world and they still see um, war and they still see Jews and they still see Jerusalem. And, they, you know, they... and so what the theologians have done, the prevailing theory about this 70 weeks of Daniel, the 77s of Daniel, the, what the theologians have done primarily, and this is the widely accepted interpretation of this prophecy, is that well, let me say this. The, the, the time frame begins when a decree goes forth. The angel Gabriel says you can count from the time that a decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. When that decree goes forth from their captors, Jew, the Jewish captors, that you are free to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. From that day, when the decree goes back, goes out to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, you can count... 490 years, and all of this will be, will be accomplished. They say, theologians say, that 483 years, 483 years was accomplished and brought us to the coming of Christ on the donkey when he came into Jerusalem. Theologians say that last seven-year period, 483 plus 7 is your 490. Theologians say that last seven-year period is in the future. And it hasn't happened yet. And we don't know when it's going to happen. Um, So there's this 483-year period from the time the decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem. Theologians, most theologians say that it ended when he came into Jerusalem on the donkey. And that this seven-year, last seven-year period, this one week, as Daniel, as, the, as Gabriel refers to it, as one week, one seven-year period, is somewhere in the future. And it begins, that seven-year begins with the Antichrist, when the Antichrist is manifested and, and according to that, that doctrine. Which means... The heart of that message is that all these things listed there in Daniel to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for, for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, to fulfill what the prophets have seen and heard and to anoint the most holy, that hasn't happened yet either. And so what that teaching does, it puts... All, it puts the finished work of Christ future and fulfilled only at his second coming. Because the seven-year period is supposed to start, according to theologians, when the Antichrist cuts his covenant with Israel. And then you have seven years, and at the end of the seven years, he comes back, the Lord comes back. And that's when all this list happens. And we can look forward to that one day when, when transgressions will be finished and iniquity will be reconciled and sin shall be put away and everlasting righteous, righteousness will come. And, and that's not true. And that's the problem with all of theology. Not all of it, but a lot of it is that it puts everything in the future. It puts everything at the, at the second coming of Christ is when we'll see all these things happen instead of seeing the reality now in the Spirit. So, 
it's hard to do this in a short period of time. I'm just going to throw this, some stuff out, and we'll, maybe I can do something in writing and hand out a pamphlet or something. Um, so here's the 470 times 70, or 7, is the 490 years. What's really cool about this is that if you see, um, if you count backwards from the time of Jesus coming into the world, if you count backwards, you find the right decree. Because there were four decrees. There were four decrees to rebuild Jerusalem. So you have to go back. You have to, there are clues in every decree that's in the scripture. And you can see which decree. You go back to the right decree. If, if you believe in the finished work of Christ, you go back to the right decree. Isn't that cool? It's, you, remember the movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Where they, they were trying to find this, this instruction to find the, the hidden ark of the covenant. And it was supposedly on this medallion. There was instruction on one side and on the other side of this medallion to where they would go to a certain place in Egypt and go so many feet here. And then you turn the medallion over and it says, and then go back so many feet. Um, actually, it was, it was actually, it was the, this hole, the movie had this hole where that had hidden in there for centuries, supposedly. It's all, this is all movie stuff. But, and then they had this replica of the city of Jerusalem or uh, yeah, the city of Jerusalem, I guess, or, or maybe, maybe it was in Egypt, but they had a replica of that city where they said the ark was hidden. And they had these pegs where you could put this staff, remember? Well, the medallion told you how many pegs to go up. And then you turn the, the medallion over to see how many pegs to go back. And if you put the medallion at the right place, the sun would come through this hole in this stone. And a certain time of the day, the sun would shine through the medallion this ruby stone, you know, this is all movie stuff, but it's, the light would shine and it would cause a laser to point to where the ark was buried if you had the staff in the right place. Well, the, the Nazis were trying to steal the medallion so they could find out where to bury it, to, uh, to uh, dig it up because, you know, Hitler was really into this stuff. He really was actually into finding the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. He was into supernatural, spiritual stuff. He thought he could control spiritual powers if he could have these artifacts. And so the Nazis were after this. That's true. And so the Nazis only had half of the medallion because remember the, the guy, that, the creepy looking guy that got his hand burned on the medallion when he picked it up? And so he had the instructions burned on his hand, but he didn't know there was instructions on the back of the medallion. Well, Indiana Jones had the whole medallion. He had the whole story. So what happened was when he got into that hole, he saw where the Nazis put the peg because the dust was moved away. And they were digging at the wrong place because they were going by just half the story. He had the other part of the story. That's what this is like. Isn't this cool? The theologians have half the story. They're starting at the wrong decree. They're digging at the wrong place. You see it? They think it hasn't happened yet. They see, they see the concepts, the principles of, you know, this is what's going to happen. They don't see it's already happened. The other side of the story. So, so Indiana Jones has the other side of the medallion. And so he counts up, then he counts back, blows the dust away because no one's put a peg in there yet. Sticks it in. The light comes in. The beam goes forth. He starts digging at the right place. Okay. That's what this is kind of like. That's why it's exciting to me. Because this is awesome. This is treasure. This is like awesome. Okay, so theologians say, and I'm going to just throw some stuff out, and I'll try to get something in writing to hand out 
Theologians say that the decree to look at is the decree that happened in 444 B.C. When a decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem. And if you count, and by the way, the prophecy, let's read the prophecy real quick. Um, chapter 9, let's start, I guess start at verse 20 maybe. For, uh, chapter 9, verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, this is when Daniel's crying out to God to save his people from exile and restore the land and the temple. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Insight with understanding. I love that. God's angel Gabriel wants you and I to have insight with understanding. That is God's will that this prophecy, that you would have insight and understanding about it. Isn't that cool? At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued. In other words, when you first started praying, the command was issued from God to send you this this revelation. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Verse 22. Seventy weeks, or seventy sevens, have been decreed for your people and your holy city. That's the time frame. Seventy sevens have been given. For your people, the Jewish people, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. In your scripture, you may see the word place there after the word holy. It's in italics because it is not in the original Hebrew. He's He's not anointing a place. The Hebrew word, the, place, the word place is purposely not spoken by Gabriel because it is a king. It is a person that's going to be anointed. Look at verse 25. So you, are, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Then after the 62 sevens, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be a war. Desol- will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Okay. The angel is purposely not just spelling it out real clearly because this is something that must be revealed by revelation. Because remember, Satan is not supposed to know what's going to happen until after it happens. See, had the Lord, had the the ruler of this world known the hidden mystery of what God was going to do in Christ, he would not have crucified him. So the angel purposely said these things in shadowy terms so that only the spirit could reveal it to you it's not just spelled out real clearly and there's a purpose because until jesus was actually offered the enemy didn't have a clue about what 
the mystery wisdom was, the work of Christ was going to be all about. Otherwise, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory, the scripture says. Isn't that cool? All right, so look at this. This is so cool. Um, First of all, the prophecy breaks it up into three sections. It says there'll be seven sevens. Seven times seven is 49. 62 sevens. 62 times seven. Four hundred thirty-four years, so you add those up, there'll be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, and then 483 plus seven more, one more week, reference to one week, the last seven, gives you the 490 years. So it's divided up into seven sevens, sixty-two sevens, and then one seven. It's interesting that the angel broke it up like that because the first seven sevens, it took 49 years to build the temple. Wow. So when he said there'll be seven sevens and then 62 sevens and then, there'll be, and then Messiah will come, the prince, and then he refers to this one week, the last seven. What he's saying here is, which is very interesting, is that he is saying that after the 49 years is up, you go immediately into the 434 years. In other words, there's no precedent in the prophecy to bring this seven years into the future in this big parenthesis at the end of this period into the future. Because we have precedent in the prophecy that after the 49 years is up, you go immediately into the 434 years, which means you should go immediately into the seven years. You see that? You see that? Okay, look. Okay. Theologians say... As the angel said, there'll be, seven, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens of years. And then the angel speaks of the one week remaining, which is, when you add all that up, you get, you get the 70 sevens, okay? Theologians say that, okay, we, we recognize that these two groups of times, 49 and 434, were consecutive, there was no time between this period and this period. There was, it was, you finished the 49, you went right into the 434. But what they do to make their, their point and their theology work is that they take this last seven years and they go, but this last seven years doesn't continue on right after here like this continue right after here. In other words, it's not 490 consecutive years. They carve out this last seven-year week, this one week, put it into the future... And now it's, it's been more than 2,000 years into the future, and it still hasn't happened because they're looking for the Antichrist to trigger this last seven-year period. Does that make sense? And what I'm saying is that there's no precedent for taking, there's no precedent in the prophecy itself for carving out a sev- seven years of this prophecy and putting it indefinitely into the future for two reasons. One, you already have precedent in the prophecy itself that you have a group of years referred to by the angel and another group of years referred to by the angel, and there's no space between those groups. So what precedent, what authority do they have to now take the last group and put it indefinitely into the future and cut it off from this 70, this 490-year period? It's not, it's not there. Another reason why it doesn't make sense is you don't give, you don't give someone a time frame. You don't give someone a time frame of, of 490 years and say, oh, well, by the way, the last seven years, that's indefinitely in the future and nobody knows when that is. Well, it, 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 take, it ruins the whole, the whole benefit of giving a time frame. Right. Because, I mean, think about that. It's to give a, 
490 year, this is going to happen in 490 years. Oh, and, oh, and by the way, the last seven years, I'm not going to tell you when that starts and when that ends. Well then, thanks. That doesn't do anything. And that's what I'm saying. This, this, is, this is not, this was supposed to be a very clear 490 years. When it was over, all this stuff was done. The problem is we just don't believe it was done. And so we have to put this last seven years into the future. All right, that's one of the problems with this prophecy. Okay, the right decree when you go back is not 444, it's 457. That's the decree that you go back from, yeah, that is the correct date. 457 BC. Now, when you add, when you take the, uh, the 483 out of here, You come up to 26 AD. Okay, 26 AD. Now, when you add the four years to the calendar because it's all four years from his birth, then you get 30. So basically, 30 years old is when the Lord began his ministry, when he was 30 years old. 30 30 AD. It'll be 26 AD on the calendar because... It's off by four years. You see that? So 457 is the decree, and I'll do this better next some other time. We'll, I'll get it all written down because it's hard to do the numbers. But there are two decrees that the, most theologians say that you count from the decree that happened in 444 BC. But if you count back from the finished work of Christ, it goes to 457, the decree that was given in 457 BC. So then you count the 483 years, which is the seven sevens and 62 sevens. That brings you right up to 26 AD, which means if, if the Lord was born in 4 BC, which he was, according to all calendars, they, our calendars are off by four years. Before Christ. Before Christ, right. So, of course, our calendar says it. And, but if he was actually born in 4 BC and this ends up at 26 AD, then at 30 years old, that's perfect because that's when he began his ministry. In other words, the seventh the last seven-year period does not begin when he comes in Jerusalem. The way they got that is a very contrived method. A, a man by the name of Anderson came up with this contrived formula saying that a prophetic year was only 360 days and not 365 days. And so they took 360 days and multiplied that times the 490 years and they got all these thousands of days and they went back and redid the math. And, and basically, they did this very contrived thing instead of looking at very clearly, solar years, instead of making it difficult and complicated. In his calculation, he gets Jesus coming in at the end of the 483 years. He gets Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on the donkey. And so he says, oh, that must mean that this last seven years is in the future. Especially with how they handle the word prince in here, which we're going to talk about in a second. So that's how they got up, got with this. They got the end of the 483 years, the seven sevens and 62 sevens, up to the time when the Lord came into Jerusalem on the donkey, okay? But the Lord doesn't say that's when Messiah the Prince was manifested. The Lord says, the, the, the Lord says, this is so cool of God, the Lord says the Messiah was manifested in the deserts with John the Baptist when the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. That's when he was manifested to Israel. Not when he came into the city to the theologians. No, God says, Messiah was manifested to my Israel in the desert. And also, very interesting about this whole thing, Gabriel. Gabriel, who's given this prophecy to Daniel, 
is the same angel that stepped back into time and spoke to the mother of John the Baptist and spoke to the mother of Jesus. The same angel. It's a clue. It's a huge clue. Gabriel is telling us when the seven years begins. He announces the birth of John. Because it's at, the, it's at the baptism of Jesus with John that the last seven years begins. That's why it says in the midst, in the middle of the week, the final week, the sacrifices shall cease. Because in three and a half years, he would be crucified. 33, 33 and a half is when the Lord was crucified. Three and a half years of ministry and he was in the midst of that seven year period. And exactly three and a half years after the crucifixion, Stephen was stoned. Exactly. So the gospel went out to the Jews. The gospel went out to the Jews. The gospel went out to the Jews and the Jews alone for one week, for one seven-year period to fulfill all prophecy. It must be to the Jew first. It must be that your sons and your daughters will prophesy to you after Pentecost. It must be the Lord himself and the apostles, the Lord working with the sons and daughters of Israel. It must be a seven-year period where he confirms the covenant, where he tells it, it's to my people first. Immediately after the stoning of Stephen, is Paul there seeing the stoning of Stephen. The Gentiles would hear immediately after the stoning of Stephen, the, spread, the word spread to the Gentiles. Yes. Immediately. That's why it's recorded in Acts. The stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, was the end. It marked the end of God's focus to the Jew. And then now, it, now it's to the whole world. The Jew too, of course. But to the whole world. You see that? And what's so awesome about this is that it is, all this has actually happened. All the list has actually happened. He has finished the transgression. Romans 4 says, where there is no law, now there is no transgression. From the cross, he said, it is finished. He finished all transgression because he removed us from the judgment of the law. The next thing says, and he shall put an end to sin. Hebrews, what, 9.26? Hebrews 9.26 says he was manifested to put away sin. He made an end of sin. He became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then thirdly, he brought reconciliation for iniquity. Corinthians. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them. The next thing it says, he'll bring in everlasting righteousness. We are now righteous in Christ with an everlasting righteousness because it's God's righteousness. It's everlasting. It's now here now. And he seals up the vision and the prophecy. All that has been seen and heard has been fulfilled. As in the last chapter of Luke, when he opens her understanding of the scriptures and he says... Beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he opened their understanding and showed that all things concerning him have been fulfilled. And the last thing, to anoint the most holy. And the book of Acts says that God has both, God has anointed him, God has both anointed him, both Lord and Christ. God has anointed him, not a place, not a temple, but a, but a person. Yes. No, there is an Antichrist coming. There is an Antichrist coming. 
But there's so much wrong teaching about that tribulation and how the Antichrist is going to be manifested. It's all wrapped up in this Daniel prophecy and so convoluted that we can't hear the simplicity of this prophecy of the finished work of Christ. For instance, you you know how we get the whole Antichrist thing out of this prophecy? Look at this. You, you judge yourself. Look at this. This is so amazing to me how we are blind. Look at the angel. He says here in verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. See, that's when he's manifested at the end of 483 years in, in the desert. It will, be, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, he doesn't say exactly when, because that's part of the, the mystery of this. The enemy's not supposed to know when, but it's going to happen sometime after he's manifested in the desert. We know now it's three and a half years later, because later it says in the midst of the week, sacrifices cease. But that's all not clear on purpose. Then it says, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy, and that verse destroy in the Hebrew means make ruin or make of none effect or make void, the city and the sanctuary. Now, this is is how we get the Antichrist, and this, this is the passage. They say that, well, the first, verse 25, the angel defines his terms. He says, Messiah, the prince. So theologians say, well, yeah, that's clearly the reference to the Messiah. The angel says, Messiah, the prince. In the very next verse, the very next breath, he says, in the prince who is to come, actually the people of the prince who is to come, shall make void or make of none effect the city and the sanctuary. In other words, this holy city is not going to be holy anymore. This sanctuary is not going to be holy anymore because of the people of the prince are going to do something to, to totally make it void. Theologians say, well, this prince is not the Messiah. That's a different prince. That's, a, that's, that's Titus of Rome that's going to come in 70 AD and destroy the city because it says, you know, destroy city. Because they're not thinking like God thinks. It's like this, saints. The angel just defined his terms. He said, Messiah, the prince. The very next sentence, he refers to the prince who is to come. This prince is already clearly... Not going to come for seven times seven, 62 some, for 483 years. So it is, he's the prince to come. The Messiah is the prince to come. Wow. He's talking about the Messiah that's coming 483 years in the future. He is the prince to come. That's the same prince. He stopped changing all of a sudden and talking about some antichrist. That is the Christ he's talking about. It's like me telling you, I've got a prophecy. Say, say I, I prophesied to you a hundred years before Abraham Lincoln was born. And I said, I have a prophecy. I see in a vision that there'll be a man a hundred years from now, Abraham Lincoln, the president, and he will do great things. And the president who is to come will be assassinated. You would, if I, if someone came to you to interpret that vision and said, well, in his vision, when he said, Abraham Lincoln, the president, yeah, that's some man apparently, but that next reference to the president, that's a different president. That's another one that's coming after him. 2000 years after him. That's another one. No, that's what we're doing here. He says, Messiah, the prince, Messiah, the prince. And then the next breath, he says, and the people of the prince who is to come. 
Abraham Lincoln, the president, and the president who is to come will be assassinated. It's horrible. We're blind because we don't believe in the finished work of Christ. And we don't understand what that, ver- that phrase means. And we get this from, a lot of it comes from Hal Lindsey back in the 1970s. He set everybody on a course of thinking this way and everybody just jumped on the bandwagon. Now there's so many books out there, nobody wants to buck the system anymore and say, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean this is the Antichrist? The prince who is to come is the Messiah. He's to come. At this point, he is to come 483 years later. So what are we saying here? What is the angel saying? He said, didn't he say that the end of your city, the end of your sanctuary, the end of your people will happen for him? What is he saying? Well, look what Stephen said. Let's look at Acts. Chapter 7. When you preach the gospel, you make total ruin of Jerusalem who, is that, who, who claims to be holy below. You make ruin of a temple with stones. You make ruin of a land they call holy. When you preach the gospel, the people of the prince are neither Jew nor Gentile. The people of the prince are the new creation. The people of the prince are you. You, and they did make ruin of it. That's why they killed Stephen. By his words, he was making ruin of the sanctuary and the temple and the Jewish people saying that even the Gentiles are God's people if they will believe. That's what this is saying. This is awesome. Look at at Acts chapter 7. It is so powerful. Okay, Acts, when you read uh, Stephen's Stephen's defense before he was stoned to death before the Sanhedrin. When you read Stephen's defense, he summarizes the entire history of the Jewish people. This is it. This is God's final. This is it. This is the end of the last week. Three and a half years, the Lord himself. Another three and a half years, your sons and daughters are now prophesying to you the very same thing that the Lord said. You didn't listen to him. You're not listening to your sons and daughters. Seven years, this is up. Time right here. And now Stephen gives a summary of the entire Jewish history beginning with Abraham. And he says in his summary, we do always resist the Holy Spirit. Our fathers have always resisted what God has done. And he goes, and then he says, God doesn't live in temples made with hands. The heavens aren't big enough for God. He began to proclaim the invisible reality of the finished work of Christ to the Sanhedrin. And they they closed their ears with their hands. They did not, could not hear it. They gnashed their teeth and fell upon him and stoned him to death. Look at what he said. Look what they, first look what they accused him of. Actually, look at Acts before, look at Acts chapter 6. Actually, this is where they accused him at the end of, at the end of Acts chapter 6. Well, let's let's start at verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. It's only going to the Jew first right here. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I mean, it was really starting to affect the Jewish population. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, 
How ironic. The synagogue of the freed men. They claim to be free. Including Syrians and Alexandrians, and some were from Cilicia and Asia. These are all Jews. Rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him. They dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. He speaks against the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, this Jesus, look at it, the very word, will destroy. What's the verse in Daniel? The people of the prince shall destroy the sanctuary. You see it? He's preaching that this Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. And then he began to speak in chapter 8. So what, what the angel is saying is that the people of the prince, that phrase, the people of the prince, is referring to the people of the Messiah. Because right above that he says Messiah the prince. That's not a reference to the Antichrist. So the people of the prince will destroy the holy place or make ruin of it or make it of none effect in the Hebrew, make it void by the words they speak concerning the work of this Messiah. Because if the Messiah has removed sin, if the Messiah has reconciled iniquity, if the Messiah has finished transgression, if the Messiah has brought in everlasting righteousness, if the Messiah is the fulfillment of all that's been seen and prophesied by the prophets, if it's the Messiah that's been anointed Lord of all, then it's over, people. It's over. And he rules and Christ is all in all. And that's exactly what Stephen was preaching and that's what they killed him for. And the very next chapter, in chapter 9, you see the gospel spreading to the Gentiles. It explodes. It explodes to the Gentiles. That's when Peter got the vision to go to Cornelius. That's when Paul, on the road to Damascus, that's when the disciples were scattered out of Jerusalem. The seventh week, the, the the last one week, the last seven years was over. Isn't that awesome? So, if you get a chance to... Oh, that's what this is. I see what this is now. 444 is a decree that most theologians say is the right decree, which is not. The right decree happened in 457 B.C., and this is all historical. It's, It's historical data. You can just look it up. But... If you add the 483, you get, three, you get 39 years. If you take that four-year off here, then you get 35 because of 4 BC. So you basically get roughly 35. According to, if you go with just the solar years, that's what it is. If you go with just the solar years, you get Jesus at, at 35 years old. At the end of the 483 years with the seven years future. But because that didn't work in their system, because he was not 35 when he came into Jerusalem, he was 33, 33 and a half. So what they did was that's why they went to the solar years, 360 days instead of 365 days to reduce this back, to pull it back two years. 
using a 360-day calendar instead of 365-day calendar. It's very, very convoluted and contrived, but that's what it is. That's how they did that. So it actually brings this day back two years by, by reducing the prophetic year to 360 days instead of 365 days. It brings this back to the year 33 A.D., and that's when he says, they came, he came into Jerusalem at 33 AD, which he was 33 years old at that time. When you take the four years off here, the 39, because of the calendar, it gets to 35. It takes another two years off because he's using these, not the solar calendar, but the, what he called the prophetic calendar of 360 days a year. You see that? that that's, that's the answer there. That's how they got 33 at the end of 483 years, which means, according to their calculations, there's another seven years to go. And that's why they say the seven years is future. And that's why they say the people of the prince to come is actually, this is how, they, how convoluted this is. That's not even the, the prince that was to come that destroyed the city, Rome of, Titus of Rome. It's not even the prince. They say it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. It's going to be a, a prince of the, of the people. So, so, okay, so it's not really that prince. It's not really Titus of Rome. It's going to be another prince of a revived Roman Empire at the end of the world this will be the antichrist and that's and then that's how we get that that the temple is going to be rebuilt because it says the sacrifices shall cease so they say well it must be a ta- must be a temple then in the last days because it says the sacrifices will cease that's where we get that there's no scripture that says the temple is going to be rebuilt in jerusalem there's no scripture that teaches that they get it from this prophecy because it says in the midst of the week they'll cut, they'll stop the sacrifices well jesus stopped the sacrifices in the midst of the week when he died you think God's interested in building a temple again? He said, not one stone shall be left upon another. You think God is interested in having animal sacrifices again? It's an abomination to God. To think to go back to... And a lot of Christians are all excited about the Jews are building the temple again. Oh my gosh. It's, no, that's not, God's not excited. It's, it's a slap in the face. It's, 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 it's trampling on the blood of the Son of God. You don't go back to a temple with animal sacrifices. And that's not part of the plan. How can you desecrate? They say the Antichrist is going to desecrate the holy place of God by going into the temple and stopping the sacrifices. How can you desecrate something that God didn't even recognize? How can you desecrate a temple that's not even, that God didn't even recognize? The temple itself is an abomination. You can't desecrate something that's not sacred to God. See, it's confused. It's awesome. It's when they, because they don't see the finished work of Christ, that it's all done. There's not going to be this convoluted end time story as we've been told. Yes, there will be an antichrist. Yes, there'll be a tribulation. There'll be hard times. Yes, all this, those, are, those are true facts. But it's not like we've been told. Yeah. Yeah, Teddy. Okay, real quick. Thumbnail. That's mainly referring to Satan himself. The, the end coming with the flood in 27, coming with the flood, that is referring to Titus. That, that is referring to the total wiping out of all of this. The end is unto a flood. In other words, a flood, it'll be a total wipeout. That's a reference to a total wipeout of the temple and the city and so forth. But it ends first with the word. It ends with the word of the gospel first. It's, it's, it's over now. It was over then when Stephen and all of them were preaching it. And then it'll come as a flood in the visible wiped out, which happened 70 years later, which not 70 years later, but 40 years later, within 40 years. And then the rest of it talks about a, that the, the desolator, the one who makes desolate, Satan himself. The decree, the decree is against him. The judgment has come on the, on the prince of this world. The decree on the desolate one, he makes desolate. That's a reference to Satan himself. That's it. Awesome. What's that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get a printout because you can't. All these numbers are confusing. I'm gonna, that way you can study it and look back at it. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. It's all about His work is done, and uh, now there's neither Jew nor Greek, but a new creation. There's no Jerusalem holy below, for Jerusalem below is in bondage. But there's a Jerusalem above. There's no holy land over there. The holy land is Christ Himself. Awesome. Yeah, we got to go, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping us see these things. Insight and understanding. For the time has come. The time is we're at the end of all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.